Amen. Please be seated. And please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I have the passage there for you. Spiritual warfare is what is in view at the end of this epistle of Paul. The buildup has been tremendous. There is, uh, we've been rooted in the person of Christ and his work for us. Um, the sovereign will of God, applying the work of Jesus to us, his children. He has created uh, us as new creations, each of us, as we are born again into this eternal life through Christ. And we are born into a new community, a new society of believers, uh, a spiritual temple, if you will. And we come to the end of this book, and the apostle is setting us up for the reality of the spiritual war that we are all part of. Make no mistake, this metaphor is meant to drive home the reality of the battle that is against us as Christians, Uh, the battle against the devil, against our own flesh, against the world, fundamentally opposed to Christ and his kingship. Charles Wesley did a great job framing the, uh, the content of Ephesians 6 about the armor of God that we've been studying, the readiness we have for this battle. He wrote, soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than a conqueror. We've learned of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel that make us ready, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's where we left off. But you know, with this armor on, the armor of Christ, equipped with it, ready with it, there is an attitude we have to have concerning it, a mindset that we have to have. There's a definite deportment needed by Christians in this warfare as we wear this armor, a manner in which we should bear the spiritual armor spoken of here. Prayer, it's not another piece of the armor, but rather it's the demeanor we have as we wear this armor in this warfare. Hear God's word. I will start at verse 16 of Ephesians 6. Our particular focus is verse 18, but we need the full context to appreciate, so I'll read to verse 20. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Please bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we can see that Christ has purchased for us in this spiritual armor what we need to stand up against the devil and his wiles. We confess how he has faithfully prepared us for the battle that we are in the midst of. Lord, we also hear the call to be prayerfully alert for this battle where we have Become sleepy, O Lord. Please wake us. Rile us. As our Lord challenged, make us to be watchful. Thank you, O Lord, for your word. And please sanctify us by it, for your word is truth. 
pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It was several years ago now that I went to a firearms training school, a defensive handgun school, several years ago. I've gone there many times since. I've enjoyed it immensely. There you learn how to properly uh, handle a gun, many kinds of guns, but a handgun in particular was the focus I had early on. Now, I had fired many, many rounds over the years, but never any formal training, never with any real concern for methodology or for the techniques or anything thereof. Just wanted to shoot cans, essentially, and hunt. Those are the things I was looking forward to do. But on my first day of training, the instructors uh, taught us a certain stance that we had to take. It was important in presenting your weapon towards the target to have a particular way in which you stood and held the weapon. Now, I had done it for so long wrong that I didn't think that much about what they said, thought I was doing it right, and I stood rather flat-footed. I put my hands out in front of me, make a perfect triangle, held the weapon out in front, and I was ready to shoot. And the first round of this, he let everybody shoot, the, the instructors did, knowing that people would do this. They wouldn't follow the stance that they had been taught by the instructors there. It didn't take long where he isolated and saw all the problems in the way my stance was, and he walked up to me, and I thought it was just fine. I was hitting the target all right. I wasn't shooting that far away, so I was feeling confident about my stance. Don't tell me about your stance, because mine works just fine. But he stood next to me, and it didn't take long to show me all the weaknesses of it. I thought I was ready, but with my arms outstretched the way they were, he took one finger and pushed my wrists, and it moved it immediately. I had no way to battle against it. He did the same thing against my shoulder. I'm not a small person, and I got knocked back a bit as I was preparing to shoot, and he just used one finger to push my shoulder just a bit. Did the same thing to the other shoulder, then to my back. Showed me multiple ways where one finger, with very little exertion, was able to knock me completely off because my stance was not right. I had great equipment. I had a great weapon. I had a great uh, system to hold all my other ammo and everything else you can have. But one finger would knock me off because my stance was not right. He adjusted my stance by moving my feet, turning my hips, having me bend over a bit, holding one arm closer. This is a defensive stance, so I need to hold it firm and be able to go up against something if it would knock me. All these things that he showed and pointed out completely changed the effectiveness of the weapon I was using. I would submit to you that the verse that we are studying, verse 18, it provides for us the stance in which we are to take with the full armor of God on. You can have the full armor of God as we do. It's Christ's armor. He's given it to you. But it comes with instructions for the stance in which we use it. And you will find it here. Look at verse 17 leading into verse 18, and you'll gather the stance. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. There's our stance. With all prayer and supplication, it's a prayerful stance. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. With the armor on, we're prayerfully alert and aware of our need of dependence upon God for that armor we're wearing. He doesn't give you the armor and say, go out. He says, here's the armor, I put it on you, and now go, I go with you, and you acknowledge me, note me, consider me, refer to me, lean upon me. Our stance, it has to be one of prayerful alertness. We should, brothers and sisters, have a certain deportment as believers when we're engaged in the spiritual battle. A certain manner should characterize our stance spiritually. When dressed in Christ's armor, we should display a demeanor of prayerful alertness, as the passage says. Therefore, we're ready with our stance. We're not surprised when the devil attacks. We're honest about the danger of our own lurking inward flesh, so we're poised for that. 
We have a true view of the world in which we live. We're not surprised, we're ready. We're on our toes spiritually, expecting anything. That's the stance described. Yes, we have Christ's armor, but we're still asking God to keep us ready. We're taking nothing for granted in the spiritual fight that we're wrapped up in. We're in a posture of readiness. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Uh, In summary, our posture for Christian living, the way we're living all the time in our state of what we might call combat readiness, it might be properly described as prayerfully ready at all times. One commentator said, prayer is not a piece of armor here, but rather the manner in which the armor is to be put on and warn. Prayer is to pervade our spiritual warfare. And we're not talking here of simply formal prayer when we come together in church to pray, whether we read a prayer or have someone lead us in a prayer. Far more than that. Much more inclusive. Prayerfully ready. And the reason why it's more inclusive, just look at verse 18. See all the ways in which prayer is described. There's a certain refrain, I hope you noticed it. Praying at all times. Praying with all prayer and supplication. With all perseverance, supplication for all the saints. Do you see how pervasive it is? How multifaceted it is? So we could ask the question, how might we prayerfully or be prayerfully alert in our manner of wearing this armor? Well, let's take our cue from the alls in the text. The first all, verse 18, the very beginning, pray, praying at all times in the Spirit. This means praying at all times that we have a constant demeanor of communication with our Father. It's not only an action of the moment, but it's a habit or a practice or a stance that we have, a lifestyle of prayer. Again, not just the formal times of prayer, but an openness to know that God always hears you as his child in Christ. You know, we see this very stance as something that's characteristic of those first believers. When you read the first descriptions of the early church in Acts 1, in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. It's just a regularity of their community that they would be praying. Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. In our passage, praying at all times in the Spirit. It's a constant communion with God as his child, a companionship and a dialogue with the Lord. You know, most of us, at least in our faith tradition, think of John Calvin as this great theologian who wrote technical works of doctrine and theology, and that's true, and they're great contributions to much of what we have come to understand. As the Bible teaches it, and he's so clearly explained much of it, he's a key Reformation leader. But what many people fail to recognize and even appreciate, his first love was for the local church and pastoring a local body like this one. And he used to use a phrase or a term, not one that he invented, but one that really came to light in the Reformation era, called Coram Deo. And this Latin phrase simply means before the face of God. And I think this describes what Paul's saying here about praying at all times. Coram Deo described the Christian's life. It means before the face of God, and that means we know and have a sense that we live all of our moments before the face of God. To live one's life, Coram Deo, is to live one's life in the presence of God. It's to understand that whatever we are doing, we are under the gaze of Almighty God. This means to be aware of the presence of God, praying at all times. 
to live one's life quorum Deo, it's a scriptural concept. The Lord is omnipresent and, he, and perceives our every action and thought. Living quorum Deo is to recognize that God is ultimately whom we live for. We do not live for others' approval, recognition, or their admiration. We live for our Lord, our Father, praying at all times. One scholar, I think, helpfully observed concerning quorum Deo. Quorum Deo counters what is taught in the world today. Entertainment media constantly present uh, pr- constantly presents a version of life in which God is totally absent. The predominant view of society is that we should focus on ourselves and do what we think is right for, the, for us. Popularity, fame, fortune, these are the acceptable pursuits of every person. Go do those things. In constant, or I should say in contrast, Coram Deo reminds us that we live for an audience of one, the Lord God, walking before God and living to glorify him. This will affect all areas of our life. And we should be ready to tell others about our purpose for living for Christ, praying at all times. This is the stance we have with the armor of God on. You know, there's something else attached, you notice in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, to pray in the Spirit, in the context here and based on other passages, it means first and foremost to pray according to God's will. In association with the Word of God, this is how we pray in the Spirit. It's not about a mystical experience or a special prayer language. This has to do with praying according to what God has said is true about himself. We know this is true because of the immediate context. Look at verse 17 again. Take the sword of the Spirit. There's reference to the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who has authored God's Word, revealed God's will. So we pray according to God's will. That's how we pray according to the Spirit, or by the Spirit. The Spirit working with the Word, working with our prayer, as we seek to align what we pray for concerning what He's revealed in His Word. That's what it means primarily when the Scripture says, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. We are reliant on the Spirit's aid when we are praying. We are reliant on the Spirit to reveal to us who our God is by his word, and then we are reliant for our actual prayers. When we can't even muster the words, the Spirit intercedes for us, interprets for us. The Spirit and the word go together. We are filled with the Spirit as we pray according to the word. This is the stance we have with that armor on. Submitting our minds and our thoughts and our desires to be mastered by the Word of God, this requires the Spirit of God. Imagine standing there with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you have it drawn and you're looking at it ready for battle and you're asking God for help with this. This is what it means to be in a stance of readiness with the sword of the Spirit, to be praying in the Spirit, praying with confidence concerning God's promises. Prayer is bringing God's promises back to him, to him based on what he has revealed about himself. When people pray in the Spirit, they receive direction and conviction about uh, people and events to pray for. That's true. The Lord does prompt us as well. The Holy Spirit prompts us and empowers us to pray. Earlier in our service, we read the short question and answer from our catechism about what is prayer. Catechism just attempts to capture all the Bible says and give in summary form. But there's a longer answer that's a little better. 
And that's the larger catechism. And it adds a phrase. See if you notice it. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. The larger catechism just has one extra phrase. By the help of his spirit. That's what it means to pray in the spirit. Barry York, who's the president of Reformed Presbyterian Seminary in Pittsburgh, said, well, prayer then is having the Spirit's breath helping us to communicate, the Son's blood making a way, and the Father's ear attuned to our every plea. Our triune God provides all we need to pray. Many years ago, John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, captured the same biblical sentiment about prayer when he wrote, a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. That's praying in the Spirit. For such things as God has promised or according to the word of God, for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. Bunyan does a great job of capturing the essence of verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. But there's another all you noticed. And so we move to it in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Here, Paul's referring to the many ways in which we can cry out to God or communicate with God in prayer. There are multiple formats that we might use, modes we might use to declare to God. This is illustrated in several passages of Scripture, but one of the most clear happens when Paul's writing to Timothy. And he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So he uses several words that are almost synonymous, but a little different in the way you might carry them out. They describe prayer, though. In our passage that we have in verse 18, with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is supplication and supplication is prayer. Maybe prayer is the more general word for it, but it's in all the ways that you could possibly muster to call out to God, to talk to your Father, to communicate with God by prayer. Uh, do those things. Be in that kind of a stance. Any which way and anywhere you find yourself, talk to your God. You can communicate with your God because he's there. Giving praise to God is a form of prayer. When we adore God in word, thought, or song, we are praying. I don't know if you thought about it earlier, but when we sang the opening hymn, the line, O Father, you are sovereign in all the worlds you made. Your mighty word was spoken and light of life obeyed. That's a prayer of ascription, of praise. That's all prayer and supplication. When we sang the second hymn, there's a line there. To thee, O Lord, alone is due all glory and renown. Ought to ourselves we dare not take or rob thee of thy crown. It's a prayer that we sing. So we can sing prayer to God. We speak prayer to God. When we think on the truth of Scripture, a given passage, and we contemplate God's writing it, giving it to us through his spirit, we meditate upon it, we pray concerning the meaning of the text and the application of the text. When we confess our sins to God, this is prayer. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Thank you, Lord. Just a, a spontaneous thank you, Lord, for some blessing that he gave or something he saved you for. Thank you, Lord, when something happened that could have happened or, or that, didn't, that didn't happen that could have happened. This is all prayer and supplication, crying to God when we're in trouble. It's been said that prayer is the language 
of creaturely dependence. And in all prayer and supplication, we bring our prayers to the Lord. Our posture for Christian living, the stance we should take, is prayerful readiness. That's our combat readiness in the spiritual battle, to be ready and alert, communicating with our God, praying at all times in the Spirit, all prayer and supplication. To that end, the next all, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. Jesus said to his disciples, stay awake. And they meant to stay awake. Remember when they were uh, waiting for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, I'm going to pray for a little bit. And they wanted to stay awake, but their, their spirit was willing, but their bodies, they were weak. They were unable to stay awake. Be watchful. See, this, this is known about us, that we tend to get sleepy spiritually. One of the best ways I can describe it, people all know that feeling of getting sleepy, like you weren't a minute ago and now you are. I'm going to use a hypothetical, and I promise it's a hypothetical. Imagine there's a husband and there's a wife, and imagine they're driving on a road trip, and they stop at a gas station because the husband's getting kind of tired, and the wife says, I will drive for you for the next hour, and I will give you a chance to sleep. And I can do that. I mean, I don't like to drive a long time, but I can do that hour. And, I'm, and the husband, not I'm, the husband says, That's a great, that will help me. All I need is an hour. But it's getting a little dark. Stop at the gas station. You forego the five-hour energy because you know your wife's going to drive for an hour. Again, hypothetical. And as you get in the car, you drive along, and you're not five minutes in, and you see your wife's head go down a little bit and start nodding a little bit. She's getting sleepy. Can you stay awake? I want to stay awake, but I can't help it. I, can we switch? Again, that's a hypothetical situation. Just try to imagine that happening. But that's what you have happening here. Stay awake. Be alert. You will have a tendency to fall asleep spiritually. That is our tendency. Everyone knows that feeling. I'm picking on one or the other, but we have all had that experience. You're alert and ready to go, and it's like minutes later, what's just happened? I'm now tired. That totally happens to us spiritually. I'm alert. I just came from church. We heard this sermon. I did, read this liturgy, partook of the Lord's Supper, was encouraged by the brethren. And you get home, and it's like minutes later, and I'm not talking the physical tired. There's some spiritual battle that's raging in your life. It's back in your face. As soon as you get home, you were alert a second ago, but now you're getting tired again. And this is the necessity of the stance of spiritual readiness Paul is calling for here. And Paul's not the only one. Peter said it this way in his epistle, one of his epistles. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. In other words, be alert. Stay awake. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You have an enemy coming after. You've got to stay alert. You've got to have this stance. If you've got the armor on and you're sleeping, that will be of no effect. You have to be ready. That's the point. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. Alert with a resolute and determined mindset. You'll notice it says to this end, keep alert with all perseverance. So it's not only that you're awake and watchful, you have a res resolution about standing now, be staying in the stance for as long as you have to. As long as the, the battle is raging, you're standing ready. This has to do with praying with a certain tenacity, a certain effectiveness comes from that kind of persistent prayer, that repeated prayer. Jesus gives a great illustration. It's really poignant to help encourage believers to be praying, asking the Lord for these things that 
you believe are according to his will. And that's key. If you study the word or you're sure that the thing you're praying for is not a sin or it's not sinful, something that would bring glory to God in your personal life or in the world around you, pray for it and keep praying for it. In the illustration Jesus uses in Luke 18, he said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow, a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And people would know that kind of circumstance. They would be familiar with that kind of persistence. And the Lord said, making a a bit of a parallel, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, his chosen who cry out day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, how... How much do you want this? How badly do you think this should happen for the glory of God? Keep praying for it then. You know, from time to time, people will, will uh, go and pursue something. They'll ask someone for something. They'll go try to find a job. And a person will say, yeah, we'd love to give you the job. And they'll walk off from it, and then uh, nothing happens. And then you'll say to them, well, don't you want that job? And they'll say, well, I'm waiting for them to call. Well, you don't really want it if you don't call them. Keep calling them. Keep bugging them. Keep bothering them. And you can think of multiple things like, how badly do you want it? It'll be determined by, it'll be shown by how persistent you are in it. And God's saying with our prayer, be persistent, be ready, prayerful. Always prayerful and ready. Keep asking. Be resolute. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who, who knocks, it will be opened unto them. Or which one of you, if his sons ask him for bed, will give him a stone? Go ask. God delights to give us those things we ask for that are according to his will. With all perseverance. This is a, a rugged stickability is what I heard or, or read one commentator say. Sticking with it. Keeping awake, alert, and this is all necessary in a war zone, which is what we are in. We're talking about a Christian vigilance, resolute determination to see something to its conclusion. You have to be ready because you know that the devil's on the prowl. Your flesh is always lurking. The, the world waits to pounce. Jesus could come back or you could go home to, to meet him. So alertness is always to be our stance. Finally, you'll see another all that ends this verse. Making supplication for all the saints. This is intercessory prayer now, not just for ourselves. The focus is off just our own selves, but it's for other believers too. You, you know this comports well with the book. The book's been building up the unity of the believer, the, the temple of God made up of spiritual stones that you make up, and we're part of a big, the bigger temple of God outside these walls. Think of the whole church now, the whole church of Jesus Christ, not just ourselves. For all Christian assemblies, this widens our circle of intercession as we are ready in a stance 
of preparedness in the spiritual battle. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for Hope Alive Church right over across the other side of the cemetery, for Blue Valley Baptist just on the corner, for Grace Church on the corner here, the sister churches that we are related to, Christ the Redeemer and Lee Summit, Manhattan Presbyterian for that matter, our local PCA brothers and sisters in Oak Hills and New Hope and Parkwoods, the other PCA churches in our greater presbytery at Evangel and Heartland, Kirk of the Plains, these churches that are in Wichita, the other area Reformed churches like Shawnee Reformed and Covenant Reformed and Northland Reformed, and you can name other sister churches we have, sister churches in the gospel and in God's word. In all churches in our city, in our country, that uphold the name of Christ and believe in the word of God, that we would be thinking about them as we pray for all the saints. And as we think of the persecuted church the world over, those believers in China right now, or those believers in North Korea, or those believers that are in places in Africa right now, even places in our own country, or even in our own continent where you have an oppression or a persecution coming upon them, that we would think beyond our walls and pray with all supplication for all the saints. If we're fighting a spiritual battle, we can be certain that our brothers and sisters in Christ are also fighting that battle. And may we be so sensitive as to think about their readiness, their need for alertness. Maybe they're getting sleepy, and by prayer, the Lord providentially uses that prayer to poke and prod our brothers and sisters into a state of being watchful. And while we need that same prayer for us, God uses it to wake us up when we need it. Our posture for Christian living might properly be described as prayerfully ready at all times. I call this uh, combat readiness or spiritual readiness. There's a man named Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper was a U.S. Marine. He's regarded as the creator of the modern technique of handgun shooting that comes into play, the training that I have received. One of the features of the training that he provides is this concept of combat readiness that I mentioned applied to spiritual combat readiness. But there's an interesting parallel that you can draw when you consider what he taught. He described this mindset with a series of conditions, and he used colors to show the conditions so that you might be ready in a defensive situation, that you wouldn't be caught off guard. And he described it in these four, these four phases. He had condition white, condition yellow, condition orange, and condition red. You can kind of follow how things might progress. They describe an escalation of your readiness based on surroundings of what might be changing. He called condition white the base level. It's where you'd hope to be most of your life. That's what you want to be. You're unaware, unprepared for something that might come in the way of an attack. This is condition white. You're sitting in your recliner. You're chilling out. This is condition white. The only thing that would save you if you got attacked in condition white would be the inadequacy or the ineptitude of your attacker because you're not ready. When confronted by something nasty, your reaction will probably be, oh man, this can't be happening to me. That's condition white. Condition yellow, now we're talking about a relaxed alert, though. You're alert. There's no specific threat situation right in view, but you're mindful of the fact that something could arise. You're thinking today could bring about this kind of situation. You're aware that the world is potentially unfriendly, and that you are prepared to defend yourself if necessary. That's the mindset of Condition Yellow. You use your eyes and your ears, and you realize uh, that you have to be ready today. You just have to be. Something could happen. You don't have to be armed in this state necessarily, but you are uh, ready uh, in Condition Yellow to react to whatever might come. Really, he says you should always be in Condition Yellow when you're out and about, especially when you're in unfamiliar surroundings among people you don't know. 
You're taking in your surroundings. You're considering them. You're always thinking, I might have to be ready. I might have to act. That's condition yellow. Then he says condition orange. That's specific alert. Something has set you off. Something's not right. Something's in motion. You know it's a little out of the ordinary. Maybe someone's walking towards you in a, in a rapid pace in a place that this would not be the norm. And so now you're on alert. Um, your focus goes from the general to the specific. And what could possibly develop into, it could develop into a, a direct and immediate threat. Staying in that kind of state could be a mental strain when you're always thinking everywhere, around every corner, something that's developing as a threat. That's condition orange. Much better to be in condition yellow. Then there's condition red. Your mental trigger uh, has been tripped. Uh, something has happened. Someone's now reaching underneath, and it looks like they're coming after you or swinging at you or yelling something at you, or you see it developing uh, right in your proximity where someone's going to the register and going to do this or do that, or you notice something coming right at you at the moment, the threat's imminent, you have to act. Now, those are what Cooper describes as the four uh, color codes or colors for the conditions of readiness. I think if you were to take the way Christians ought to function in the general, I would say condition yellow is perfect. You have to be ready and alert, recognizing that the world is not a friendly place spiritually, that we have the devil, we have our own flesh, we have the world that we have to contend with. It doesn't mean to be paranoid all the time, but it means to be looking at and taking in things, recognizing the spiritual realities that are there. Also recognizing that you have been given the spiritual equipment to deal with it. You're not oblivious to it. You know there's possibilities. You might have to be ready to react. That is a ready state. That is a state of preparedness with the armor on, ready for what might come. It's a good state to be in, a good condition to have. Condition yellow means you are in a stance of prayerful alertness, as I think the passage describes. Spiritual readiness condition yellow. That's what we're talking about. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us what we need for the spiritual battle at hand. You have equipped us with the full armor of Christ, and it is a battle-tested, battle-proven, victorious armor. Now give us a constant prayerful readiness. Make us alert where we have grown sleepy. Wake us up to the battle that rages. Give us a stance that is prepared for the fight that we are in. I pray this in the name of Christ our advocate. Amen.